This NBA season, make every three-pointer, alley-oop, and buzzer beater even more exciting with FanDuel. You can bet on everything from first baskets and number of dunks to which player will drain the most threes. Or stack your bets with the same-game parlay for a shot to win even bigger. It's quick, easy, and you'll get your winnings fast. So download the app today and see why we're North America's number one sportsbook. Make every moment more with FanDuel. 19 plus and physically located in Ontario. Gambling problem? Call 1-866-531-2600 or visit connectsontario.ca. Hey guys, and welcome to the wrap up. This is the Raptors Republic official live post game show where we recap, we dissect, and we have some fun talking about the latest Raptors game. If you're hoping to hear the voice of our friend Samson Folk, unfortunately, he won't be here tonight with the Raptors Republic reaction podcast. But fortunately enough, we're here to recap the game for you. Again, this is a live show, so if you're following live, you're going to see the best tweets, moments, and highlights all flowing across the screen throughout the show. And if you're listening to the podcast, buckle up. We're going to have some fun. I'm your co-host, Sahal Abdi, and tonight, as always, we have my co-host here with me, Oren Weisfeld. And if you all could like, comment, and hopefully subscribe to the Raptors of Public channel, especially our reaction podcast listeners, turn on those post notifications if you haven't already. We're going to appreciate all of that from you guys, every single like and every single comment. Oren, tonight, let's get into the game. The Raptors lost a tough back-to-back versus the Miami Heat, 116 to 108, moving the Raptors to 16 and 16 on the season. That's two straight losses now for Toronto, six and four in their last 10 games. Oren, the way that game ended was so deflating. Jimmy Butler went absolutely supernova. What did you think of that performance? That was incredible to watch. Yeah, I mean, overall, the Heat uh, impressed me. I haven't caught too many of their games this year, so... I really don't know how they've gotten off to this bad of a start, other than obviously the COVID stuff. But the Heat impressed me. I thought they had a really good game plan, and they they stuck to it. And on the Raptors' side of things, I think people will blame this on fatigue, which is fair in a respect. But at the same time, um, we saw some themes that we've seen in past Raptors-Heat games, um, including that 2-3 that Miami zone including, um, you know, guys struggling to score one-on-one against Bam, um, things like that. And Jimmy was just the best player on the floor, as he often is. So it was a little disappointing given how the Raptors kind of played, I thought, a little better against uh, Milwaukee and Philadelphia. But um, you take what you can get, and uh, we'll get them next time. But, yeah. Yeah, you definitely take what you can get. I mean, this was Toronto's fifth game in seven nights. This wasn't just a regular back-to-back. Five games in seven nights is almost unheard of. Um, some good news, though, Lowry did return for this game, and the Raptors did feature a super small uh, starting lineup for this one with Kyle Lowry, Fred Van Fleet, Norman Powell, uh, Pascal Siakam, and OG Ananobi. And, you know, with a smaller team like Miami, I mean, in comparison to the two bigger teams Toronto just faced in Milwaukee and Philly, um, this looked like a better matchup for Toronto. Um, they've struggled with Miami over the years. I mean, Eric Spolster, we know this by now. He's an absolute coaching genius. Um, I, I tweeted today that he, you know, coming out of timeouts, he's probably the best coach in the league, in my opinion, at least. He draws up some of the best plays. It feels like every single time a timeout was called, either by Toronto or Miami, um, Miami was scoring or making a very good defensive stop. So, um, you know, and that team has a very good blend of youth a very good blend of veterans on that team. And then obviously led by Jimmy Butler and Bam Adebayo, um, just a very balanced team. And people always forget, like this is a team that went to the finals last year. So, you know, they're, they're a force to be reckoned with. 
Um, but just in terms of how the game started, it was it was a good game to begin. Toronto started off the game super hot from three. Um, one thing I didn't really understand, Oren, was, you know, DeAndre Bembry and, and Patrick McCaw playing at the same time. I mean, I'm not even really a fan of Patrick McCaw playing at all, um, considering, you know, the, the you know options to Nick Nurse has at his disposal on the bench. But, I mean, both of them playing at the same time, they have very similar skill sets. Um, I didn't really understand that at all. Um, but you talked about, you know, you know zone – um, you know, Miami, we've seen it before. They've been doing this for a couple of years now where they just, you know, blitz Toronto with this very aggressive style zone that they were running throughout the game. This 2-3 that sometimes looks like a 3-2. Um, guys are running around all over the place. Toronto tried their best all game to kind of just, you know, dismantle the zone with quick passing. Um, I don't know if you watch Miami all that often especially when they're not playing Toronto, but did you like that kind of zone that they were playing against Toronto? Do you think it was successful? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I do watch them once in a while. I mean, that zone works because they have really athletic guys who they play at the top of it. It's a pretty unconventional zone in the sense that it's a two, three and they play guys like Jimmy and they play guys like, um, um what's the name um igadala <laughs> igadala thank you yeah. yeah i was i was uh, having a brain fart there myself you weren't the only one yeah so those guys like jimmy for example just kept getting steals on the wing to wing passes he was yeah. really everywhere tonight defensively and then down low you have bam who is just a great help defender and and rim protector and the raptors really struggled in like you know Pascal Siakam is theoretically probably their best zone buster in the sense that he has a mid-range shot so he can kind of operate uh, from that elbow area. He's a really good passer now. He has an off-the-dribble game, but it just wasn't his game, and I'm sure we'll get into him. So um, they struggled, and like we've seen the the change from a Marcus Gasol who used to be put in the middle of that zone and just pick everyone apart and just teams really weren't going zone against us because um, he was so good. And now what we do is usually put OG in the middle of the zone. Um, and from the eye test, it just hasn't been very effective. I would like to see them go to Pascal more in the middle there. And uh, tonight's not a very good example of that because he just wasn't that good tonight. Yeah. But like, Real quick, it's interesting that you mentioned like the five games and seven nights thing because the second half of the schedule just came out and the Raptors have four pairs of back-to-backs. So um, a lot of teams have compact schedules. And this season, they they dropped a sound on the broadcast that the Raptors are one and four. And now after this game, one and five on the second night of back-to-backs. And the last two seasons, they were like... Um, w- they were just they had a really good winning percentage on those games so it is a little worrisome for me going forward because uh i just don't like the depth very much like there's interesting pieces on this team from utah to Bembry to stanley johnson those guys are all interesting but the lack of a clear definition because there still isn't really a rotation i think is hurting them in these games where someone has to step up from the bench and provide some scoring. And it's just, it's no one knows who it's going to be on any given night. And and it, tonight it was nobody. And I thought that was a big difference. 
Yeah, for sure. I think you made a really good point. I mean, when you look at the Raptors, it feels like Nick Nurse is kind of just – it's just a roulette of, of bench players trying to come in. You Sometimes you see Matt Thomas or Terrence Davis just not even play certain games and the season, and then they're expected to come in and play 15 to 20 minutes and kind of change the game for Toronto. The only real consistent bench option we've seen for Toronto has been Chris Boucher. And before that, it was Norman Powell. And Norman Powell's been, you know, electric as a starter. But since he's been moved, you know, to the starting lineup, um, you kind of are missing something on the bench. You're not – you're relying on guys like Matt Thomas, Terrence Davis. We mentioned DeAndre Bembry and now Patrick McCaw. And all these guys are coming in. But at the same time, it's like – who can we really rely on when it really comes down to it other than Chris Boucher? That's a great point you made. And I wanted to quickly just end off on Pascal Siakam. I mean, he played 42 minutes last night, like in a full-scale basketball game versus the Philadelphia 76ers. And you mentioned it. I don't know if you remember last last night during our post-game live show, you literally mentioned how we'd likely see a reduced offensive load or a reduced minute load for Pascal Siakam, um, especially with a guy like Lowry, obviously coming back tonight, um, this turned out to be true, right? He only had, you know, a very minimal field goal attempt compared to at least the last game. He didn't really shoot the ball as much, didn't really look as engaged, which is, again, understandable off of a crazy back-to-back. Um, but at the end of the day, Oren, you look at this team and you you look at a guy like Kyle Lowry, who had a fantastic game. He can't really pick up all the slack. Um, where is that scoring depth, Oren? Do you think it lies on the bench or do you think that's something that Toronto can can target, I guess you could say, in the future. No, I think it's just like this is a team that has a small margin for error, which I mentioned before. And unless like three of their four best players at least really have it going on a given night, um, they're they're just going to struggle to win. And today you saw that with Pascal, who just didn't have a good game got benched in the fourth quarter in favor of Terrence Davis, which I wouldn't read too much into because just like you said, he played 42 minutes last night. And I really think it was just nurse saying like, not that you're playing so bad, but more so like, let's just give you the rest of the night off because you don't have it tonight. And like, there's, there's no real point in pushing your legs this much if you're not going to give us a ton so yeah, he 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 wasn't good. He didn't bring them enough on either end, and um, that was a big difference maker for sure. In terms of the scoring punch, yeah, like I think I think you ideally want some more guys who can come off the bench other than Boucher and provide you scoring. Right now, the bench is just so tilted towards you know role player glue guy types who are good defenders, and that's nice, but who aren't real offensive players, and like you know. People were harping on Twitter about the lineups all night, and I get that. Um, but at the same time, yeah. like, what do you want Nurse to do? Because he just doesn't have a ton of options in terms of good three-point shooters off the bench. Yeah. He doesn't have a ton of playmakers off the bench. Mm-hmm. It's it's not like the most skilled group where he can easily like find a great like mix and match as easily, I guess. So. Yeah, he is having to put these bench guys in in bigger roles than they really um, can thrive in. And in games like this, when you play a team as smart as um, Miami, who's going to attack those guys, it really it really shows the the lack of depth, in my opinion. Yeah, for sure. I mean, Miami, you look up and down. These guys are missing some guys as well. I mean, Tyler Harrow, if people didn't notice, he didn't play that game. Myers Leonard was out. Avery Bradley was out. And they still got it done. 
I guess you could say, for the Miami Heat. I wanted to go into a very interesting point, Oren, into, in this game, um, where, you know, throughout the entire game, Miami was having so much success with the pick and roll. You briefly mentioned it, um, especially with Bam Adebayo involved. It feels like he was just creating so much room um, for guys like Goran Dragic and Kendrick Nunn, uh, which was eventually getting shooters really good looks from the three um, William Liu, who's, you know, a very good friend of Raptors Republic, obviously former Raptors Republic now with Yahoo Sports Canada. He mentioned a really good point on Twitter where teams are pump faking Toronto a whole lot more. And that at this point, Oren, is probably part of the scouting report versus Toronto to kind of combat their ultra aggressive, you know, double team, um, you know, cl hard closeouts. Um, my question to you, Oren, is that, can Toronto sustain this type of defense that they've been playing the last four or five games with this small lineup? Um, or are teams have teams really figured them out at this point? Well, I think you need to like divide the point into two things. So I think they can absolutely play small. I think they can double the post, double superstars wherever they are and get back to their rotations. Um, I think they can do that as long as they're playing their top seven eight guys like tonight they went deeper and the deeper you go the more you notice that that kind of style is not for everyone and there's guys on the end of the bench who really struggle to pick up those rotations as quickly and it leads to open shots but like the closeout thing to me isn't necessarily tied to that style of defense right so mm -hmm. there are absolutely guys who close out too hard and run try to run like people off the line and then guys pump fake them and just take a three. And I saw that a bit, a bit in this game early, especially in the first half of this game, but you don't need to do that. Like you can play small and be aggressive and double team and still get out and challenge shots without necessarily running off the line. You can just close out a little more controlled, which I've actually thought the Raptors have done pretty well recently. Um, guys like Boucher, Siakam, they were, I, I think the Raptors, I'm obviously not in there, but from what I've seen, they have kind of made a point to stop running guys off the line as much and, and just start closing out a little bit more controlled and putting, forcing guys to hit tougher contested shots. Yeah, for sure. And I think, you know, that's the defensive side for Toronto, but offensively, we talked about how Miami was running that zone a lot of the game. And I think, you know, Jack Armstrong mentioned it, how the primary strategy you know, for Toronto when attacking this zone that Miami kept hitting them with was more or less to kind of focus on the soft spots defensively, which was naturally, you know, the middle sections of the zone within the three-point line because you know Miami has those perimeter defenders all over the three-point line that are, you know, ready for those deflections. Guys like Kendrick Nunn, long wingspan, Jimmy Butler, who's, you know, arguably the best perimeter defender in our entire league. Um, and then obviously another soft spot of that zone was the baseline. We saw a lot of baseline cuts for Toronto, you saw Benbury cutting, Ananobi cutting. Um, Toronto was working a lot of their offense in the corners and on the baseline. Um, if they were to face, you know, hypothetically Miami again, you know, two days from now, what can Toronto do differently to kind of combat Miami with this zone? Um, you know, we, we mentioned, you know, or at least it was mentioned on Twitter how Miami had a very big rebounding advantage and, you know, last game we saw that as well and starting to become kind of a norm for Toronto with that rebounding advantage that other teams are having on them. Um, do you think Toronto, you know, can 
can beat a Miami, you know, in a, in a hypothetical seven-game series? Can they beat Miami tomorrow if they were playing? Um, has Toronto figured this zone out? What do you think about that? Um, yeah, no, I think they match up decently against Miami. I, I think they could theoretically beat them. I, I don't know if I would pick Toronto, even though Miami has been bad this season. Like I said, I'm not quite sure why they've been so bad. But, um, okay, so in terms of the zone, I think, like, I just like to see the Raptors pick up the pace offensively. Like, that doesn't necessarily mean you have to play in the transition game, though that would have definitely helped to get some free points. But more so just, like, more drive and kick, more paint touches and kick. Like, they were playing such a slow zone, and we actually saw a very similar thing the first time these two teams played early this season where Toronto's just doing a lot of passing around the perimeter waiting for someone to see something waiting for a cut um but they're not attacking closeouts they're not like setting up pick and rolls they're not really setting off ball screens they're not doing things that enable them to get these paint touches to collapse a defense and then kick the ball out for a three because like it's not like the team doesn't have good shooters it's just that miami's forcing them into pretty contested looks from three in the zone and um it's not going well in terms of the rebounding today was a it was a bit weird and and okay so yeah we just played like philly and milwaukee who are both bigger teams we played them fairly small and we did much better on the boards today was a really bad rebounding game the raptors got out rebounded by just give me a second so by 10 yet they took six less shots so that's not that that to me was the difference because they gave up rebounds and then miami just swung it out to a three and it was an open three and it was cash most of the time so I think the rebounding is more so a result of the Raptors playing a deeper bench. And and just like the lack of focus is what I can only really contribute the rebounding to because it's not like the guys they're playing are bigger or smaller. It's just that when they played like Milwaukee that first game, everyone was on a string. Everyone was rebounding together, hitting bodies right away. And this game, they just, they weren't doing that. And part of that is just that they're playing, you know, nine, 10 guys. And those guys aren't used to gang rebounding in the same way that I think the top seven are. No, for sure. And I was looking at the rebounding, you know, box score. I'm sure all of our live viewers can see it. Pascal Siakam with a very weird stat line in this game. I mean, the five points is weird enough, but then only finishing with two rebounds. No Raptors at all, Oren, finished this game with 10 double-digit rebounds, I guess you could say 10-plus, which is, again, strange for Toronto, not very strange. I don't know if any Raptors really average 10 or more rebounds. I doubt it at this point in the season. Um, But like you said, it's been a team rebounding kind of strategy for Toronto this entire season. And for them, they just didn't get it done today. And this was the difference. I mean, Miami led in offensive rebound percentage. They They led in defensive rebound percentage. Bam Adebayo looked like he was, you know, absolutely demolishing every last human being on the boards at times. I'm surprised, honestly, he only finished with 12. Um, I wanted to quickly get into Oren a YouTube question, a live question that we just got. And I'm going to ask you it. Does Chris Boucher um, get pushed around on the boards? Um, it, it's a very you know simple question to answer, I guess, because he's a, a thinner guy, a much longer guy. 
Um, but does Chris Boucher get pushed down on the boards? And, and, and do you see that as a, as a problem for Toronto? Should they kind of look into the, uh, the center position a lot more deeply? They should look in the center position, that's for sure. But I don't think it's really Chris Boucher's fault. Like, yeah. Bam, you have to remember, Bam is a good rebounder. Um, and Boucher is not a very good defensive rebounder. But part of the reason is because he's really a four. He's not a five. He's just playing the five out of pretty much desperation for this team. So, yeah, like certain centers definitely push him around a little bit. Um, I think he's been better this season just in terms of positioning and in terms of timing because a lot of it's just as long as you time it right and you're as long as him, you're going to be fine. But, um, yeah, like Boucher is never going to be an elite defensive rebounder at the five because there are centers who are 250 pounds in this league and are as tall as him. You know, that's just like the reality of the situation. So there's not much he can ever do to combat that. But there's little things that I think he's picked up along the way this season, you know, positioning, boxing out, timing that are helping him be a pretty decent defender at his position. Yeah, for sure. I mean, one of, I think, the most exhausting things to watch as a basketball fan is for sure just watching your team get out-rebounded. We had someone in the chat, I believe he goes by the name James G, where he essentially said it wasn't Chris Boucher's fault. fault. He kind of reiterated what you said, where it's not Chris Boucher's really fault. He's 6'9", I believe he's 215, 220 pounds, very thin guy. Um, But Chris Boucher does offer other things, like you said. So can you really blame him for being put in a situation against – a stronger guy like Bam who has, you know, such a good sense of rebounding around the hoop. Um, you can't, you can't. I think that's just more of a roster hole for Toronto that they have yet to address. Um, rebounding was definitely a big thing. We talked about the zone. We talked about Toronto's defense and their closeouts. I wanted to get into one specific player, and I'm surprised we're getting into him this late in the game. or yeah, I was going to say. In the show. Um, Kyle Lowry was a guy, Oren, for me, who was absolutely incredible in this game. I was kind of sad at this point, Oren, where, um, you know, late in the game, Kyle Lowry wasn't really, you know, offensively, I want to say as assertive as he was the first three quarters of the game. Shot an amazing percentage all throughout the game. He finished with 24 points. He was 9 for 13, 4 for 7 from 3. You know, just a very good game all around for Kyle Lowry. Eight assists, seven rebounds, a couple steals. Um, Kyle Lowry, to me, you know, if if there was a player of the game for Toronto, it was definitely Kyle Lowry. Fred also had 24, but, I mean, just the impact Kyle Lowry had, you felt it on every single possession. What did you think about Kyle's game? Yeah, I think it was probably the best game of, of his season, to be honest. It was so, so fun to watch. It was unfortunate that they couldn't get the win for him. Because he just played, you know, a vintage Kyle Lowry game, um, yeah. doing a little bit of he, – he really showcased all his trademark moves, I would say. He had, like, a couple pull-up threes in transition. He had that, like, beautiful, like, fading elbow jumper that he likes to go to once in a while. He has some great layups in transition. Um, anytime Kyle sees his – whoever's closing out on him close out with the wrong foot. He's so good at just going and reading the angles and getting to the rim. And like, that's a thing like, um, you know, Fred hasn't been as good at, and that he's kind of getting better at recently is just like finding those angles to exploit and to like get big men 
when they're not expecting you and, and get to the rim that way. So, yeah, I was really, really happy to see Kyle. Um, it was it was just enjoyable from a purely like aesthetic perspective. Um, he was it's funny to kind of to watch him after being out of the lineup for so long. I forgot how like just like short he is and like ridiculously talented he is for his size and um, even how fast he is at times when he picks it up. So, yeah, um, love, love me some Kyle. And, and also I'll say like people, I saw like someone on Twitter being like, how come the Raptors can't play together? Like when Kyle's good, the rest aren't. And when the rest are good, Kyle's not. And it, it has seemed that way this season, but I think like, it's really hard to just introduce someone after a few games out. Um, you have to give them all time to gel and get back to like figuring out these roles and stuff. And I think that's going to happen and, and they're going to look pretty scary once they're all healthy. Yeah, for sure. I feel like Kyle Lowry far and away was the best Toronto Raptor tonight against the Miami Heat. And, and that says a lot for a guy that was being guarded by Jimmy Butler for a good portion of the game. One more guy, Oren, that I wanted to talk to talk about um, was OG Ananobi, who feels like kind of feels like he's been in and out of the lineup recently. Um, he's been dealing with injuries. I want to talk about him too, but I yeah. know there's a lot of OG stands who listen to, to Samson's podcast. <laughs> they so are, there are. Just, just mute it real quick because I might not say things that you enjoy. Yeah, so I, I was personally going to say, I was going to start it off by saying at points he did struggle in this game, um, you know, but also at points he did look more engaged offensively when Lowry was on the court. Maybe that's just the Lowry thing, a chemistry thing with Kyle Lowry. Um, it's, it seems like for him, his, his role is a little bit more defined when Kyle Lowry's there. Um, but again, he did struggle. Um, you know, I know you think that consistency has been an issue for OG. Do you want to expand on that? I mean, yeah, you kind of said it. Like, obviously, I don't want to gloss over the, the pros of his game because he was guarding like Bam for most of the game. That's a five. Um, that's, a, that's someone who's going to take a lot of energy out to guard all game. But at the same time, he has to get used to that because they're starting him at the five. So like it is now his job to get used to defending fives and still having the energy to bring it on the, on the offensive end. And, and that's fine that it's going to take some time. Also, like I'm not going to harp on the three point shooting because same thing happened at the beginning of the season for him where he wasn't shooting it well. And then once he got the feel back, he started shooting it really well and I'm sure he's going to start shooting well again, you know. But, you know, we came into the season hoping for, expecting, whatever you want to call it, a little jump from OG. And you said he plays well yeah. with Kyle Lowry. That's absolutely true. And he he deserves part of that because he's a good screener. He's a good rim runner. He, he can pop out. And Kyle, but Kyle deserves most of the credit because Kyle's really so good at finding him. And making sure, you know, like, OG, you haven't been involved in a while. Let me get you involved right now. But OG needs to get himself involved a little bit by himself. Like, he's running a, a few of these bench units where he's a featured guy. And other than the Minnesota game, when he had a really good start to the fourth quarter, he just took over and got inside. He has not been, you know, putting the ball on the floor, which is what we want to see, and creating for himself or creating for his teammates as consistently as consistently as I'd liked and it's not like I'm giving up or anything like look at Jalen Brown in his like fifth year take this leap like it takes a long time to learn like playmaking 
to learn the ball handling, to, to get your feel developed and to be able to create for yourself. It's the hardest thing to do in this league. But um, I also think like when he's giving you what, how many points did he have today? You know, G 14 points, 14. Yeah. On six of 13 shooting. It's like on a night when Pascal Siakam didn't have it and didn't even close out the fourth it's just not enough, you know. You you want OG to be a 16, 17, 18 point guy on a regular basis, I think. Yeah, no, for sure. I think when you look at 14 points, a lot of people normally would be okay with OG 14 points. I mean, that's totally fine in a lot of people's eyes. But when Pascal's only putting up five points, that guy's averaging, you know, 20 plus on the season, Pascal. And when he's putting up, you know, 15 points less than that, you want a guy like OG to kind of reach that 20-point plateau or even get past that um, in a game where they needed it badly. I mean, in, in any game versus Miami, which it feels like whenever Oren, there's a Miami Heat-Toronto Raptors game, um, it just feels like, you know, it's just a grinded-out game. And a lot of people don't like that. I was talking to some friends before this game who, you know, were like, oh, I'm not, I'm not, I'm going to tune in at halftime because this game's so, you know, I don't like these type of grindy games, half court style games. And I love them. I personally loved it. And that leads me, you know, to my wrap up turning point of the game. And where... I just say real quick on OG last point, I just thought yeah, of, yeah. is that like, I think like, I don't have the numbers for this, but I, watching him, it feels like when his shot isn't going down, he doesn't have other ways to score. And that's, I think, the next thing. Like, he does not have a very good uh, free throw rate at all. He doesn't get to the line. He, like I said, he he doesn't have a dependable mid-range jumper. He doesn't get used in the pick and roll as a ball handler where you can kind of get to those spots. So I think he just needs to find more ways to score when the three is not going down on, on, a, on a night like tonight. Yeah, for sure. It feels like OG, a lot of times when he's driving in, he's kind of just barging into players hoping for – a foul to be called. And at this point, I mean, he's in his fourth season. Um, he's been a starter for what, three out of four years. He was a starter in his rookie year. And then Kawhi came along and he wasn't a starter. And then his third year, obviously he was a starter last season. Then he's a starter this year. So at this point you want to see that type of offensive development for him. Uh, but I was going to quickly get into, you know, one of our segments, the wrap up turning point of the game. And that was um, the one that really just sealed it. For, for Miami, um, it was, you know, Jimmy Butler bringing it up, Bam Adebayo looking at the role player saying, clear out, this is this is our this is our time, right? Just a way to put, put the Raptors out of their misery. There's about 40 seconds left on the clock. Jimmy Butler takes the screen and roll and dishes it off to Adebayo, and that kind of just sealed the game for Toronto and for Miami, obviously. Um, two guys that had a lot of success in this game, like we said earlier, Bam Adebayo was unstoppable on the glass. And Jimmy Butler went supernova. He ended the game with 27 points. He had eight free throws attempted, so he was super aggressive. Um, Jimmy, we don't really see, you know, Jimmy isn't known for his three-pointer, but he went three for four. I believe he had 14 points um, in the fourth quarter. He had 10 assists as well, eight rebounds. Jimmy had an incredible game. He was probably the player of the game, um, beside obviously Adebayo and then Kyle Lowry for the Toronto Raptors. Um, did you like, you know, Bam wasn't, um, you know, named an all-star. He was a guy that a lot of Miami Heat fans thought would get in there. Um, in terms of Bam's game and Jimmy Butler, do you think they have kind of what it takes 
to kind of make a similar run like they made last year. Um, you know, in terms of everyone, it seems like they have almost the same exact team that they had last year. The key guys like Igudala, Harrow, Kelly Olenek, Duncan Robinson, Kendrick Nunn. Um, do you like Miami's prospects? Yeah, and then they also have Precious, Precious Achua, who didn't play today, and he's he's also kind of a yeah. nice way. <laughs> um, so, yeah, like Miami, I think, I like I said, like I cannot diagnose why they haven't been playing very well. I haven't really read much about it or, or heard much analysis on it. But, like, all I know is that watching them in the bubble, everyone was on a string to, like, a crazy extent to where I didn't even pick them going into the Boston series. And then it was just, like, these guys are playing super hard and super together. And it was really, like, those intangibles. It wasn't, like, the skills necessarily. It was just the fact that, like, this is a basketball team. Like, these guys know how to play together. Their rotations are super crisp. They have a lot of strength and, like, um, like, physicality on the team and um everyone's playing on a string and that's what like i noticed the most it wasn't necessarily that they had the most skill in the east but more so that they were like the best group in the east so they obviously haven't been that for a number of reasons this year season including covid and injuries like messing up the lineups i think the raptors have dealt with a little bit of the injuries messing up lineups so theoretically i think um I think they could be back there, but I just think it's going to be hard in such a short period of time to like find that juice because they had like, someone mentioned this today. They had like three months off before the bubble to kind of get prepared, get everyone on the same page. And right now you just don't have that. You're playing pretty much every other night. It's really hard to like get your team drastically changed like Toronto did. And they deserve a lot of credit though. No, they do. And, and you know, Speaking of Toronto, you know, Nick Nurse, who's obviously the head coach of the Toronto Raptors, he made a really, really spicy comment. I don't know, Oren, if you've seen it yet. Post-game comment um, from Nick Nurse um, during the press conference. And he straight up said, we outplayed them. We outplayed the Miami Heat, that is. Uh, The ball just didn't bounce our way. Um, Do you agree with Nick Nurse's comments that, you know, the Toronto Raptors outplayed Miami? Um, He probably saw a lot of tough Jimmy Butler shots late in that fourth quarter, which kind of sealed that, 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 you know, idea for him. Um, Do you think Toronto outplayed, you know, Miami, or did you think, you know, Miami deserved this one through and through? No, I think, I think Miami was the better team. I think maybe it was a bit closer than the score showed, but I think in general, Miami was a little bit better. And it really comes down to two things for me, which is one, the rebounding, not because like 10 rebounds is such a big issue, but more so that they just created from those rebounds really well. And because that that's what happens when you have a scrambling defense off offensive rebound. And the other thing is like, it's hard to say that your team played better when your like number one option has five points or four points in Pascal. So I would just say that. No, for sure. I agree with you. I think Miami played super hard. You mentioned it last year, or I, sh- I should say, was it last year? Yeah, last year, 2020, in the bubble. Um, I can't really keep track of time, man. This this COVID stuff has me all over the place. But, you know, during the bubble, they played together. They played together tonight. I mean, if we're talking team chemistry, strictly team chemistry, Miami Heat, you know, probably you know have the best chemistry in the league in terms of how they play with each other. They run their sets 
so you know so nicely so in such crisp you know fashion uh, a lot of that obviously has to do with Eric Spolster who I feel like you know is a top three coach in the league if not you know the best coach in basketball um I quickly wanted to mention you know one more thing about Eric Spolstra first of all Oren I'm gonna ask you a two-part question do you where do you rank him in terms of basketball I know a lot of people think Nick Nurse is up there as well in that top five kind of category Greg Popovich is obviously still coaching guys like Rick Carlisle who haven't had that much success recently um but he's still thought of as, as you know one of the premier coaches in the league what did you think about Eric Spolster and his impact on this game? Yeah, I mean, I agree. He's he's top five for sure. He's really good. Um, yeah. I think, okay, I, I guess I haven't made this point yet. So defensively, the zone really screwed Toronto up. But like Toronto knew they were going to do this. You know, they did the exact same thing early this season and the Raptors couldn't f- solve it. And it was a lot of the same issues tonight. So I think that's a little more on Nick Nurse than like, any genius thing that um spo did offensively though i think one thing that he did pretty smart tonight was like they didn't really um play inside out like they do a lot like a lot of the time they'll they'll give the ball to bam at the corner and then ask him to like dribble handoffs or like not the corners the elbows dribble handoffs or like find cutters things like that i didn't see them do that very much today they use more pick and roll at the top of the arc and i think the reason they did that is like watching the last four games the raptors played is like every time that those teams gave the ball to whether it was joel Embiid or or Giannis down low it was just like so many turnovers were being creative like i think joel Embiid had like five turnovers on back-to-back nights because that's what happens when you play a small ball version of the raptors if you play inside out they're going to turn you over. They're going to run and they're going to score on the fast break. And so I thought Miami was really smart to not play that way. Instead, they kind of played outside in and only went inside when they had something there. Um, So, yeah, I thought, I thought that was pretty smart. Yeah. I want to talk about, you know, we talked about the game, I think more than enough at this point. I just want to say the Raptors played 12 guys today. I just saw that. That's crazy. Well, that's incredible. That's incredible. I didn't even know that myself. They played almost everybody. Um, I mean, who didn't play at this point? I think Utah didn't play. Malachi Just, used earlier didn't play. And Who else Paul Watson. Yeah. Paul Watson didn't play as well. So going 12 deep, that's pretty insane for Toronto. I wanted to get into a little bit more post-game stuff with you, Oren. Um, Kyle Lowry apparently, news all over Twitter is that he did injure his thumb. Um, and he's, again, coming off of an injury. He This was his first game back. Um, when, when, when asked what happened to his thumb, he said, quote, it's an upper body injury, some hockey terminology, end quote. Um, Kyle Lowry's next game, I mean, the next three games for Toronto in order are the Rockets, Bulls, and Pistons, three very winnable games for Toronto. Um, and then they got the Celtics, who they've, who they've had you know, their fair share of struggles against. But the Rockets are up next on Friday. Um, and if Kyle Lowry can't go, are you worried about that game for Toronto? We all know Houston has kind of changed, you know, the way they play, their style. It's not really an isolation. Everybody watch James Harden um, and drool on the, on the three-point line while he dribbles out the shot clock. Um, are you worried about, you know, the future for Kyle Lowry? Are you worried about um, kind of Kyle Lowry, all these injuries starting to pile up for him? Is this an age thing, or 
What do you think is going on with him? Uh, no, I think he's always kind of been banged up throughout a season. That's what happens when yeah. you play that hard and you're you're small. I think he's referencing like what happened to his thumb in general because it's his yeah. first press conference since it got hurt. I don't think he re-injured anything. Uh, I think he was just making a joke about how in hockey when guys get injured, they like don't disclose anything and they just say it's a lower or an upper body injury. Like a guy will get concussed in hockey and like get like carted off the floor and they'll be like, yeah, it's an upper body injury. Like, yeah, we know it's upper body injury. <laughs> we know at this point. No, for uh, sure. Um, I love Kyle Lowry. I love that about him. This is why he's known as the bulldog for the city of Toronto. Um, a guy who obviously led Toronto to some great things the last four or five, six years. Um, you know, like I said, the Raptors do have the Houston Rockets up next. Um, is there anything else you wanted to add before we kind of close things off, Oren? Yeah. Did you see like the opening segment on the broadcast about these COVID sniffing dogs? Yeah, I did. I did. That's and I crazy. That is, that's insane. And I don't know. That's insane. Honestly, what the science is behind these COVID sniffing dogs. Same. Um, but, you know what? I think it's just an American thing where these fucking Americans are like, yeah, 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 they fucking, yeah, they sniff COVID for sure. You come in our stadium, pay big money. Like, and really these are just like Coke sniffing dogs or something. Yeah, I don't I'm thinking, like, I was thinking it was more a, a narcotics thing more than anything. Um, but for a dog to smell COVID, I personally never heard of it. If you guys have heard of it in the live, in the live comments, let us know. Or if you're watching this and it's not live, let us know in the comments. Um, or even our podcast listeners. We know obviously our Raptors, you know, reaction podcast listeners are listening to this. If you've heard of a COVID sniffing dog, let us know on Twitter. Um, that's something I've personally never heard of. But I'm going to wrap it up here, Oren. Um, this was a great post-game live show um, for us. This was the wrap-up, your official Raptors Republic post-game live show, where your Toronto Raptors came up with a grinding loss versus the Miami Heat, 116-108. to 108. Before we finish, though, we obviously want to thank our sponsor, Arv Qureshi from Remax, for supporting the show. He specializes in investments, rentals, luxury homes, and so much more. His details are at the bottom of the screen. Thank you guys all for staying with us. I'm your co-host, Sahal Abdi. Again here with Oren Weisfeld. We'll see you on Friday for the Houston Rockets. Take care.